if you have been here, uh, I've enjoyed going through these characters, seeing their lives, asking that question why exactly it is that this story is here. Um, and I do that every week, and I, when I hold that in my mind, I s- still sort of laughable the types of stories that we get and go, oh, okay, Lord, uh, I guess this was meant for me. Um, and as funny as that is, it's sort of a reminder that you absolutely can do that. You can see not just stories um, from Scripture that are preserved, but you can kind of observe the world and not pay attention. Um, one of the things in the Bible, I think I mentioned this before, but it's worth noting because you'll see it come alive on the pages of Scripture is the frequent uh, reprimand of not paying attention. Just not paying attention to your own story. Uh, even today, in our Scripture today, it's do not be deceived, blank. <laughs> do you not look around and pay attention? Um, do you not remember the Exodus? Do you not remember the story of Moses? Do you not remember the wilderness story? Do you, and on and on and on. And so, um, good Bible students, according to Scripture, um, Jesus, you know, you know, explaining who he is in light of the Old Testament, um, is to look and linger and to pay attention. So we're going to do that today with this, the character of Joab. So we have mentioned Joab previously in our narrative on Amnon, the saints and scoundrels sort of in the scoundrels camp today. Let's pray, um, give thanks, and we will go as far as we can today. Joab's story is sort of just this long journey through 2 Samuel. We're going to hit in vignettes, little things of his life, and just observe. His life is hard to pin down. Um, I made the point in the very first week to say, when you study someone's life, it's not just, and here's the simple message, the black or the white, the saint or the scoundrel. It's a mixed bag. There are times when there are uh, to be imitated and timed for us to um, heed them as cautionary tales. So with that said, what can we pray for? Any pressing immediate things we'll do requests later? All right. Yeah, Chase. And it's got our last final tomorrow okay. of all of college. So we'll, That's uh, excellent. That's a great feeling. <laughs> That's a great feeling. And it's over. Yeah. Not always when it's over a Georgia Tech. Sometimes you're like, "Eh, will I graduate? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking from experience. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the riches of your word, Um, all of the doctrine that we learn, all the sweet and wonderful truths, all of the wisdom, the parables, um, proverbs, and also all the biographies, the lives of people who... They kind of look like us. They kind of look like our failures. They sometimes look worse than ours and give us hope. And sometimes uh, they're our leaders. Uh, they're our heroes. Bless us, Lord, as we take a look at Joab. Give us uh, just a lively discussion this morning to glorify your name. Our inheritance of Scripture is, is wonderful. And so we rejoice in that as we look this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Right. Really quickly, some short biographical sketch on Joab. Uh, He's related to David. He is David's nephew, and he has become the commander of David's army. Um, David kind of had this interesting scenario when he went to go conquer Jerusalem. So we're not going to see this in 2 Samuel. We'll see it in 1 Kings, um, 1 Chronicles. Um, When David went to go take... Uh, Jerusalem, uh, what became known as the city of David after this conquering, he needed someone who could uh, breach the walls, and they couldn't figure out how to do it. It's kind of a famous story where they found this sort of like spring sort of tunnel, so this way that this fortified city was getting uh, food and supplies and able to withstand the siege he couldn't conquer Jerusalem. And so he made this claim that anyone in his kind of band of men who could uh, sort of kill one of the first Jebusites, uh, that they would become the commander of the army. And that man was Joab. I don't know how, didn't really say how, but he seemed to have found this sort of spring, which apparently you can still go and see today. And there they go, and they are able to take um, this Jebusite stronghold, which becomes Jerusalem, or short-term name, shorthand, the city of David. That's who Joab is. 
Um, let's look at what he's doing. We're going to dive right into the narrative of who he is as the commander of David's army. And at this time in this first vignette, the kingdom is divided. So there was Saul, you know, you know this story, um, and Saul died. Um, and I'm going to mention this because it might come up again later, but uh, some men were boasting to David of, of Saul's death. Saul and Jonathan's death, and they thought that David would be pleased to know that his sort of uh, enemy there in Saul was killed. Do you know the story? Do you know what happened? What happened, Stephen? Uh, it was an all-time backfire. It was an all-time backfire. And David put them to death, right, for um, raising their hand against the Lord's anointed. That's the kind of man David is, and it will stand in contrast to the type of man that Joab is that we'll see. So, I don't know what that was. The kingdom was divided, sort of northern and southern kingdoms. David's ruling over the south, and um, Ishbosheth's man, his commander of the army, was named was Abner. Previously, he was Saul's commander of the army, um, a man that David honored and revered. So you have the sort of the two kingdoms squaring off. Okay. This is sort of a, a face-off, sort of a Western, boo-wee-wee-wee, like this is the moment here. Um, that's amazing how I can make that sound, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so somebody reads quite a lengthy passage. This is what we'll do today. Uh, 2 Samuel 2, 12 through 32. Woo! 12 through 32. It's a long one. We won't read as much each time. They'll get shorter and shorter, but we'll read this one. Somebody's got it. Go for it. Go for it, Jason. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Manhaniam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibbon. And they sat down, the, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. They arose and passed over by number, <coughs> twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Helkot Hazarim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Ashel. A sail. Now, a sail was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And a sail pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is that you, a sail? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But a sail would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asael, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then can I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asael had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner, and as the sun was going down, they came, up, came to the hill of Amah, which lies before Gia on the way to the wilderness of Gibbon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab, Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. 
So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah. They crossed to the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides a shale. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men, and they took up Asael and burned him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Thank you very much. That's a big reading. All right. So let's kind of diagnose this story. It's our introduction, really, to the character of Joab, David's commander. So do we have Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom kind of facing off. What's the predicament? Uh, you got two commanders of the army. What do they decide to do? They're chilling out by the pool. They've got their lounge chairs. Let the youngling fight. Right. So what do they decide to do? They take, they take 12 of 12. They go to each other, right? swords just sticking in each other's stomach almost immediately. All 24 lie dead. All right, we'll settle this another way. Right? We'll kind of pursue one another. And what we see, what we kind of sort of zoom in on, is this conflict of Abner and Joab's brother Asahel. Now what happens? Just to keep up with their story. Boys, this is a great story. What, do y'all remember what happened? He was obviously a cross-country runner. Obviously, as fast as William. All right, Asahel's swift to feet. All right, but you have Abner being like, Hey, you better back off. Like, I know you're quick and you're young and you think you know something. You're coming after me hard, but I'm telling you, kid, back, back up. He says, says it a second time. I'm telling you, kid, you need to back up. And then in, like, a wise, you know, I've been around battle before sort of move, it says he thrusts his, the blunt end of his spear behind him. Sort of like, that's, that's like the uh, Star Wars. Like, this is like the Jedi move. This is the, uh, I've got the upper ground here. Uh, don't make this move. So there we see this kind of fierce fighting. But what do we have in here, the story? What, do we, what does it send, uh, sort of like, um, it's, it's starting to uh, fire up Joab. Why? His brother died. So now he's bitter. I wanted to set this story up because I think sort of Abner's words to Joab hang over him as a biographical stamp. If you do this type of pursuit, this type of bloodlust that you have, when does it stop? The sword's never going to depart from you. Very interesting description of a man who is the right hand man of David. David, in our estimation and in scriptures and in culture at large, sort of stands out as this shining character of a godly man, a godly leader. We get lots of biographies and Bible of men whose character we, uh, is questionable. But David, the, he's the psalmist. I mean, we, we want to pray like he prays. We want to be uninhibited and dance as he dances and worship as he worships. But David has, as his right-hand man, a figure who I think we should look at today, who serves the kingdom and becomes to David, <clears throat> I, I, I believe, a useful tool. A useful tool. So he's stirred up in his anger at Abner, this man that David reveres, this other commander. But what do we see after the battle uh, was waged that night. How many of David's camp were killed? Yeah, 19, 20. And how many of Abner's? 360, right? So what do we get all, just already we know? Joab is shrewd. The mighty men are, I mean, they are ballers. I don't know what to say. I mean, they are fierce warriors. In fact, when Joab is in command, I don't recall a battle he loses. When Joab is in command, there's not a battle that he loses. So let's move on and kind of see what happens. 
Look at Second Samuel 3. We're just going to kind of cruise this book. We probably will not get to the end. Three verse eighteen, and I'll sort of just summarize here. Um, but Abner gets the sense that David is truly God's anointed. Okay, so in sort of the schism of the kingdom and who's the rightful heir, uh, am I going to side with Saul and his family? Abner sees that David is the man, and he comes to him in confidence and says, David, I acknowledge you as the Lord's chosen. You're an honorable man. Consider me on your side. What do you think Joab thinks of that? Right? This man who murdered his brother, who now is this great commander, Saul's great commander. What tension do we have there? Anybody? Right. He does think he's lying. But what does Abner stand to become in David's army? Commander. Right. He's going to lose his job. Right. He's, he's the man. He's the man when David called for somebody to come and conquer Jerusalem. Uh, Joab was the man. And now you have this man who's killed my brother, this man who was uh, our enemy's right-hand man, and he's going to take my job. No way. So Abner comes tells David, hey, I'm on your side. Great. Uh, short version of the story, which you guys should totally read. Boys, you should go home and just read 2 Samuel through. It is a thrilling, sort of fast-paced tale of uh, warriors and uh, tensions and uh, conflict and interpersonal conflict. Um, and we'll see some, hopefully some of that being drawn out today. So Joab calls and says, you know, as Abner leaves to go home, he says, hey, hey come, come over here. I want to tell you something. Let's see if we can see that. Um, let's look at three. Uh-oh, did I just click off of it? Somebody read 326 through 30. So just four verses there. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the cistern of Sarah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Esau, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all of his father's house and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asa to death in the battle of Hebron. Yeah. All right. So what, what do we know of the character of Joab so far? Vengeful. Yeah, he's vengeful. He's a man who holds a grudge, and he will not be thwarted. Right? This is going to be a defining characteristic of his. Well, what, is the, what do we know of David in this scenario? What, do we, what are some insights we get on his character? He was responsible. I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord. Yeah, pay attention to that. I and my kingdom are forever, forever guiltless. Oh, yeah, no, no, you're good. And he sort of makes this condemnation on Joab and his family. But I think we've got to ask the question, especially because I, I know at the end of the book he does this explicitly. He has full ability and right to remove Joab, but he makes a very public statement to the kingdom. I had nothing to do with this. I, my hands are clean. Do you think he kind of stands to benefit from having potentially his enemy's right-hand man not be a part of his kingdom, not, not have some of that deception? 
that is the type of thing that Joab explicitly begins to say later on in the book as they deal with different things. Are you not paying attention, David? These guys are not your friends. These guys are going to turn their back on you, and your kingdom will fall because of it. He is a, he's a treacherous man. He's the kind of guy you go to because he knows where the bodies are buried. Like that's, that's Joab. He's the guy you call when you need dirty work done. So why was Abner better? He killed Joab's brother, and he was actually commander of Saul. Um, and he only went over to David because he figured David was going to be the one that was going to actually win out over the two. Yeah, it's possible. He chose his sides, right? I'm going to choose the winner, right? Hmm. Rather than be faithful to Saul. Certainly seems like in the line of Saul and Ishbosheth and Meshibah, Meshibah, that's the that's the shibboleth. It's not that. Uh, yeah, he's not the strong. He, their line was not strong. Now that's just, that's sort of guessing at their motives, but you know this is what this whole book is about. It's sort of this guessing. It's I mean it's sort of like a kingdom toppling kingdom type of type of fast paced thing. All right, look at this for a second. We get David mourning uh, the death of Abner, and he commands. Um, he commands Abner and all of his, his men to mourn with him. All the people wept, it says in verse 32. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And he does this great kind of funeral possession, uh, pro, uh, pro, procession, honoring this man and makes... Joab, his murderer, march in line with them, right? It's very awkward. Right? You're having this procession and this honorable funeral with the murderer in there, David's commander, but he keeps him in his position, which is interesting. Um, David calls Joab too hard. He condemns his actions in verse 34 as wicked. Um, the Lord will reward this evildoer for his wickedness, right? He kind of puts this curse on him and his family, all right? Next, we'll just go ahead and skip up to the ne- one of the next vignettes for David and Joab. And I can just walk us through this. We did kind of talk through it, but it's chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. And it's the um, David and Bathsheba stories. If you go to chapter 10 in 2 Samuel, you'll, you get that verse, um, chapter 11, verse 1. It was the time of the year where the kings got to battle, but David stayed home. But if you go back to see why David was home in chapter 10, you have Joab fighting his battles, okay? and he didn't lose. So you kind of almost get this sense that he is this just wonderful tool. I don't even have to be there. This guy's taking care of it. Um, I, I wonder if David even thinks he has command over Joab in the sense of public shame and guilt. I don't know that, but I, but I wonder. And then I wonder if in this section, chapter 11, if the tables turn a little bit. So what do we know of David and Bathsheba? He obviously is home and he shouldn't have been. There's lots of lessons in there, which this is a side note, but I'm writing a little blog on our website and I'm focusing on this story. I think there's a lot to be learned about leadership and uh, just his idle hands and how that, that got him in trouble. Um, David had so much greater things for him, and that's exactly what sin does, is it, 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 it changes to the trajectory of our lives, even though they can be redeemed. Um, it changed his family completely. So he is with Bathsheba. He wants that whole scenario to go away. So what does he do? Who does he call? Joab. He calls Joab. Right? <laughs> Joab goes and brings Uriah to the kingdom. He says, please partake. In a night of drinking, please go home, rest, sleep in your own bed. That would be really nice if you would do that so that they would believe that the baby was their own. But he's an honorable man. He won't do it. And so finally, after multiple times of trying, he gives Joab a letter through Uriah's hands, which is kind of weird and sad. And he gets that letter that says, kill Uriah. Take him up to the closest, fiercest fighting against the walls. The place strategically you're not supposed to be because uh, in the Ammonite battles, you all know the story where the the woman dropped the millstone on the the guy's head, uh, Abimelech, and um, you don't do that. That's just an easy target. It's where you get hit. It says draw them up against the walls, then pull back. And you can kind of think that as a character, 
Uriah always has that letter in his pocket. Like no matter if he took it out of his pocket, just as on his soul, he's always got that letter in his pocket. David needed me to be a hitman. Not just for Uriah, but to save face for the kingdom and to save face for himself. Okay. So we're told that uh, many men die going close to the wall. David's outraged and Joab says, hey, remember that letter you gave me? Those men were the cost of Uriah's life. You're welcome. And then there's no comment. Then we get the next chapter I'll summarize, which is the account of Amnon and Tamar. Okay, Amnon was David's firstborn son. He was the heir to the king. He threw that away um, in his lust for his own sister. It was a stepsister, and her brother was Absalom. After David's uh, adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet comes, and one of the curses from Nathan's mouth to David is that your line will always have turmoil in it, even though there will be someone to sit on the throne. They will be fighting, and you will have public shame. Your concubines will be taken before the eyes of your nation. Um, Sort of a total humiliation. And he doesn't know where that's going to come from. Absalom, um, in frustration at his dad, not dealing with his brother's lust, takes in Tamar to his home, and he runs away. Um, David is beside himself. Okay? He is mourning the loss of his son. Um, Joab sees Absalom as an enemy, a potential threat. He knows, his gears are turning, that he probably has revenge in mind, and he is no friend to the kingdom. He is no friend to David. And Joab probably thinks he's no friend to me. His sort of his lusts. But he sees David out of whack. David is miserable, crying, um, not eating. He's sick over uh, what's happening um, because Absalom kills Amnon. Do you remember the story? We, we did this a few weeks ago, right? He enacts revenge, has everybody over for a dinner party, and he kills his brother. Okay. So Job does this interesting thing. Sort of like Nathan with his parable to help David to see. I won't have us read this. I can summarize this part. Um, Joab grabs a a woman and and has her come before the king to plead her case like many would do before the king. Joab's planting words in her mouth. And essentially she's just saying, look, there's this dispute between uh, my my children and someone wants revenge to come and kill the other brother. Uh, Will you give protection? And the short version is David says, yes, you know, bring, bring them home, I'll protect them. Joab, interestingly, is using that woman, David picks up on it, to motivate David to try to bring Absalom home. Why do you think he would do that? So he could kill him? So he could kill him? Okay, that's a good interest. So Joab could kill him? It's an interesting thought. I think Job's a little bit more tactical here. He knows there's a decent shot. Absalom's going to want to build his own kingdom now. Yeah. Because David failed to act. Because David failed to act. That's, I think that's spot on. I think both of you guys are on to it. And I think that Joab is sort of this calculated long-term thinker. And I think that's exactly what happens in the, in the narrative. And I think that Joab saw it. And David couldn't. Let me pause right here because I think this is important. In this particular section of text, David starts to absolutely lose it. Why do you think that is? I mean, he is a stud when we first meet him. His decisions are sharp. His vision is long. His judgment is correct. What do you think happened here? What's to be gleaned from a king of such stature who starts to lose it? I would, I would guess my initial reaction is if you do all this like conniving and trying to like play the game, it'll just drive you crazy in the long run. You know, if you're if you're not being faithful and you're trying to be outwitting everyone and mm. whatnot. 
So sin. Sin. Yeah. Oftentimes you'll hear a preacher or the, the tangle of sin, the distortion of sin. It clouds your mind. You can't think straight. Uh, Proverbs says it is, the, um, it is the glory of a king to make a wise judgment. Right? What does it mean to be a king? It's not just that you have rule. It's that you have judgment. You have justice. That's why Christ is the, is the true king. He has clarity. He can see. And he has authority to uh, do whatever he wishes. David starts to lose it here. Lust and conniving and, and murder and manipulating and not standing up where he should have. He starts making a bunch of bad judgment calls, which Joab sees. So he says, bring Absalom close, keep him in house. That guy's a problem. Okay, so a couple of things starts to, have, um, starts to happen here. Let me see if I can pick up on the text, something that we could read. Let me summarize this part. We'll have somebody read 2 Samuel 19, 1 through 8. Somebody will pick that up. All right, so what happens is that Joab commands Absalom to come live in David's kingdom. And he does, but it says that he is not allowed to see his father. Right, so there's a closeness there, but there's still a division. He's not bringing him back into the fold. He's not bringing him back into leadership. He's not bringing him back into, um, into the lineage of the kingdom, but he keeps him close. Um, he calls multiple times for Joab to come so he can, why did you bring me here? Fagan, you don't have to punch the wall. <laughs> uh, uh, Joe, yeah, he's working. Ah! She's practicing. Um, he calls for Joab multiple times. Why did you? Why did you bring me out of? I was I was fine where I was. Why did you bring me here? Dad doesn't even want to talk to me. Why did you bring me here? Joab doesn't come at his requests. So Absalom says, "Well, Joab's field's next to mine, and his his wheat is dry. I just light it on fire. Not to get his attention." Right? So he lights his field on fire. Job shows up and says, what gives? What, what are you, what, what's wrong with you? He's like, I've been asking you to come here. I'm in, you know, prison over here, sort of house arrest. I, Dad won't see me. I need you to come. All right? So he, he sort of snaps in that moment. He think he realizes that I am not here to be back in my father's good graces. I am here as a political prisoner. So Absalom in his sort of um, uh, wisdom, his shrewdness, he goes to the city gates, right, as people were coming in from David's kingdom to, to get on their carts or walk and go to see the king for judgment on their cases, he would stand at the gate. They didn't even have a time to get to the king's throne. So he would say, hey, come over here. Do you need help? You need, what's going on? Uh, well, this dispute and so-and-so is going on in my village and, you know, we've got these guys who are robbing our sheep or whatever they're talking about. Absolutely, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it for you. What did he begin to do? He turned the hearts of David's people to himself, right? And he plotted a rebellion. Fast forward here because the story is not about Absalom is that they're running away from Joab's men and it says that Absalom gets caught in a tree. His head? I don't really know what happened here, but it said that as the men were going, the forest devoured more than the sword. Fangorn? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know what happened. Um, but apparently he got caught in a thicket, and his head was stuck, and this great warrior is somehow trapped in a tree. I don't know how you're trapped in a tree. You can't get down, but he was. So some men come. Uh, David, his heart obviously went out to his son, um, but Joab thought too much. And so David commanded, if, you, if you're pursuing my son, bring him home to me safely. Um, some men come to Joab and say, hey, he's up here hanging in a tree. What should we do? We should just conquer him and take him back home. And he says, this is foolish. And he rams three javelins through his heart. Uh, not three javelins through his body. It's told three javelins through his heart. And then... Um, here's David's response. Somebody read that chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, The king is grieving for his son. When the people stole into the city that day, as people steal in 
who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters, and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your mouth, from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, and all the people came before the king. Mm. Right. I didn't mention this part, but when Absalom began to steal the hearts of the people and went in to conquer his father's throne, David fled. So David's kind of in, in hiding at this point. Um, that's when the battle ensues. So him going back to the gate is sort of a symbol, a sign that he's back in his throne. He's back in the seat of judgment. What's, what's Joab's response here to David's mourning? Thinks it's misplaced. Thinks it's misplaced. Think it's a rebuke. Is he right? Seeing the loyalty that Joab has shown him after all these years, and he, like you said, I think... He has been in mourning for both of his sons for a long time. Joab probably sees he's making bad decisions, and he's yes, it's misplaced, and he's saying you're not you're not thinking clearly. Yeah, I think one of the shocking things you get about David is you don't really see him as a dad, almost never. And I think that bears a lot of marks on his children. The only time you see him as a dad, you see him mourning the actions of his children but never proactive, rebuking their behavior or dealing with the fallout of their behavior. Fairly interesting that he failed in such a way. What were you going to say? He seemed to have more relation with Jonathan than his own people, his own son and children. I mean, I mean he his friend Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, there, that's, there's some truth there. there. You see warmth to that relationship. Yeah, um, yeah that's just an interesting note. I'm sure there are times there as a father that he, but in the narrative, you don't get it. You get, you get this sense. Matt, you mentioned um, that's sort of a rebuke. Is he right? Is Joab right in that rebuke? Yeah, I think so in some ways, yeah. I was, or a little bit earlier, it talks about like Absalom was doing his, like undermining him for like four years. It's like David just kind of, and it doesn't really address, like, it's like David just kind of ignored it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, stealing the hearts of people away. I'm sure murdering people. I mean, he's, he, was, he was at war against his father. And it said that, and this is sort of a side note, but it's kind of a gr you know, gross detail. That, prof that prophecy from Nathan that, hey, your, your concubines are going to be taken publicly before your kingdom, that, that was fulfilled in, in David's own son, Absalom. He went to the king's harem, took his concubines, set up a tent on his palace, slept with his father's concubines, when David takes back over as king in this section of the narrative, it says that the ten concubines that were left behind that were taken by Absalom were put into a room and locked away for the rest of their lives. All right, so they, for whatever note that is, it's just, it just, it's sort of this like crumbling, the fall of the house of Usher. Have you ever read that book? You know, it's just, this is the fall of the house of David in that regard. Okay, so here's one more sort of scene. We've got ten minutes here. Uh, here's one sort of two last vignettes on the life of Joab, and then we can sort of debrief and see what we learn or see. And he's sort of a tough one again to diagnose. <clears throat> um, David gets his chance sort of when he's putting his kingdom back together. Now he's being reinstalled. Um, he takes the opportunity to replace his right-hand man. Okay. Joab's still in the picture, but he replaces him with a man named Amasa. He's the new commander instead of Joab. David pardons his enemies as people kind of come back. They're like, oh, you see this in the narrative. You should check it out. I'm like, we're so sorry. Uh, please have mercy on us. And he does. He said, you know, it's okay. I get it. Welcome back into the kingdom. 
Um, Joab's not a fan of that. <laughs> Second Samuel 20, um, you get a new man who's also, so the, the kingdom has really started a fracture here. There's a new man, his name is Sheba. Uh, or Sheba, he declares himself the leader of Israel and begins to fight against David. So here's the first real test of his new commander, Amasa. So David tells Amasa, hey, you need to go out and deal with Sheba. He's causing a lot of problems. And the text gives us this insight. In chapter 20, it says that Amasa didn't act within the time frame that the king allowed. So he says, hey, need you to go take care of this problem. And he just didn't do it. So who has perfect opportunity to take up the reins? Joab. So he goes to Amasa and says, hey, hey, come here. Interesting detail. really don't know why it's here. Maybe we could reflect on it and find out. But as he's, Joab's approaching Amasa, it says the sword falls out. I wonder if it was on purpose. Like, oh, blah, blah, blah. sword. Ding, ding. Oh, whoops, let me, let me grab that real quick. And he grabs his sword, and then he grabs Amasa's beard, and he goes to give him a kiss. That's what the text says. And he thrusts him through the belly. And the men, it kind of says, are sort of taken aback for a second. They don't know, like, you clearly just are undermining the king. But you've been our previous commander. So they kind of pause. It seems that Joab turns and says, now let's go take care of Sheba. Let me show you how it's done. Okay, so there he goes. He sort of reinstalls himself again. Sort of a second uh, outright murder in that style. Hey, Abner, come here. Let me, let me talk to you for a second. Hey, Amasa, oh, let me congratulate you on your new post. Give you some tips on how to be the commander. Both times thrust them through. The interesting story about Sheba and the wisdom of Joab is that uh, as they go to the city walls to find where he's been hiding, a wise woman calls down and says, hey, what's the problem? How can we get you guys to stop battering our city? And he says, hey, we're really not here to destroy you. We just want this man, Sheba. And the lady's like, hold on, I'll just toss you his head. I don't know what she does or what sort of like riot she, she does that evening. But she's like, just hold tight. And she throws the head down against the wall. He's like, thanks, I appreciate it. So the wise woman there, that's what we're told. Let's go to the last, uh, let's go to the last section. Okay, we got time for this? We do. 2 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 4. Four verses. Somebody's got it. They'll read it. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Is everybody familiar with this story? The Lord is very displeased with David on this. What are, your, what are your thoughts here on why that was such a shocking thing for Joab to hear and, and honestly, a shocking rebuke from, from the Lord? Does anybody have any guesses? This is a tough one. He wants to find out his strength in numbers. Yeah. It is something to do with that. you got to understand that the, the, the whole having a king and an army was sort of predicated on the Lord not being enough a little bit. You know, the Lord told them, right, you want Saul to rule over you, just, just remember, right, I am, I am distinctly the Hebrews' king and leader. But if you want to be like everybody else and have a king, you can, but just remember they're going to be a mess and they're going to rule over you, right? Part of David's strength and the victory that he was given was his trust in the Lord. This downfall, this distortion of vision, this short-sightedness in David is really pointed here when he directly goes against the Lord to measure his own strength. How strong am I? Joab, as compromised as he is, has sight enough for that. Let's pause here for a second. What are we told in Scripture to be as shrewd as? 
Why do you think that is? So you can understand how the enemy works. Okay. What do you mean by that? So serpents are representative of evil. Like I guess the idea is understand how the enemy tries to tempt you. Yeah. What benefit of that sort of broader conversation is paying attention to your enemy's wisdom? You won't be caught off guard. Identify it. Identify it. Stay away from it. Yeah. There is a, a lot of wisdom in knowing that oftentimes um, the accusations of the enemy see your, see your situation more correctly than you do. That's not to say that it's wisdom. It's not to say that it's right. Think of the serpent. Think of Satan tempting Jesus. Think of 1 Corinthians 6 that we're about to hear in our sermon in about 20 minutes. Right? Do not be deceived. Paying attention to our sin brings confusion. Sometimes the culture or someone who stands even in opposition to God can put their finger on the truth better than we can. There is a lot of wisdom there when we are told to be as shrewd as serpents. Um, Adam and Eve couldn't see, but the serpent could. Obviously, he was false. But they should have been able to have the same wisdom. They should have been able to see. The question is, why couldn't they? Can you say more about that? What, what did the serpent see that was true that they didn't see? I think, <clears throat> I think he, he saw not the truth that they would have become wise, but he saw where their weakness was. I think that he knew how to twist words, how to pull at their, what scripture says, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And so when I'm looking at marketing, if I'm looking at an image on the computer, going, what are they trying to tell me? And they are nailing my weaknesses. And they are trying to sell me a bill of goods as like, I mean, you've you been in a marketing situation, right? You go, I know this customer doesn't even know what I know. I know them better than they know themselves. I know their impulses. And I know how to pull them and steer them in any direction I want to. And I think that the comment about being shrewd as a serpent is to have enough wisdom, the wisdom of a king, the, the enough uh, clarity from Scripture, it's a gift of the Spirit, is to be able to see through lies. That is the glory of Christ when he's tempted by Satan. It's the exact example that he gives. It's to say, I, I take your temptation and I raise you Scripture. I raise you clarity. But I have you pegged and I'm wiser than you are. And you think that you see my weakness, I'm so hungry, you think you see this? I, I've got one better, you see how that works? That's an interesting dynamic to study, especially when you're tempted, pause and say, could I be as shrewd as they are right now? When I'm tempted with anxiety, when I'm tempted with lust, or to look at pornography, when I'm tempted with griping, complaining, can I pause and say, what is, what is the, the thing I'm being tempted in right now? Oh man, if I can sit back, sometimes you can see it. I can see the razor blade inside the chocolate. You go, hmm, okay, there it is. They're exactly right. They are pulling at me right where I, right where I get pulled. Last vignette. Um, so David saw that great, great, uh, great betrayal of David. Um, <clears throat> When David passes on the throne to Solomon, which is interesting because it's Bathsheba's son and not some of his own sons. It's interesting there. Um, there's another son, Adonijah, that again divides and tries to fight with the reign of Solomon. Joab chooses Adonijah. But listen to David on his deathbed. Okay, This is where the story goes, oh, he knew. 
Listen to this. I'll read it. 1 Kings 2, 1 through 6. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go to the way, the way of all the earth. By the way, this is, this is David's last words. Okay? Be strong. Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written to the law, in the law of Moses. So here we get him as a father, kind of in last words. But you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. But the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, and how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood, that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Some of David's last words are what wisdom to his son. Follow the Lord and get rid of Joab. (laughs) Follow the Lord and do not trust this man. And I think I have to kick that back to David's life. Did he not have the authority to do the same thing he's asking his son to do? He did. And I wonder if a man who knows where the bodies are buried is a man that's hard to get rid of. And a man who's pretty good at doing you favors, fighting your battles, even dealing with your own sons, is hard to get rid of. And I wonder what wisdom there is in the life of Joab for us to glean from. He's not a man to be trusted. He's not a man to have as your friend. Um, And I think we see there an interesting connection with the life of Jonadab, who was Amnon's friend. Both David and Amnon, his son, had friends that they could go to in time of need that completely steered them in horrific directions. It would be a good case study to follow up on on the benefits and the downfalls of friends. Um, as the, uh, the hymn says, uh, Mighty Fortress, um, you know, we have the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Right? And I think of that and just the, the glory of, of having Christ on your side um, as opposed to David who had this sort of leech on his side. Uh, what a blessing it is to have the, the counsel, the foresight, the shrewdness of the friend of sinners in, in Christ. That's our time. Let's go ahead and close. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the life of Joab, um, sort of complex and interesting. And Have mercy on us. Help us to take from his biography what we will. Help us to see sometimes as shrewdly as serpents, but act as innocent as doves. Bless us in that. Thank you, Christ's name. Amen.